This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. We'll continue our study here in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. Let's pray again before we read. Father, again we come before You in the name of Jesus. Lord, looking to You for help. We want to acknowledge, Lord, our dependence upon You in all things. For salvation. For every bit of knowledge that we might gain from Your Word. Lord, we're dependent upon You for all of it. I ask that You uh, grant this morning, Lord, that I would deliver the message that You would have delivered. Please enable me to speak with clarity and with accuracy. And Lord, please open all of our ears to hear. To hear Your truth so that it not just fall on our physical ears, but so that it would penetrate our hearts in such a way that our lives are changed. We want the truth about You and Your kingdom to become more and more of a reality to us in our life as we go through this world. Forgive us for our dullness. And again, we pray, enable us to hear as we ought, to love as we ought, to be what we ought to be here in this present world. Let it all be for Your honor and glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days... John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts, And wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, Bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, 
the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Amen. How much of a bearing does the uh, the reality of the kingdom of God have on your life on a daily basis? How much do you think about being heirs to God's kingdom? And again, what what implications does that have, if any, on our life? Now, should, should it uh, affect us in any way? One of the things I, w- I want us to see here this morning, one of the primary things I hope to point out, um, in dealing with John, the baptizer, and the message that he's presenting here, is um, these correlations, these links, between, for example, in his message, between repentance and the kingdom of heaven. Or I could say it this way, the necessity of repentance and the kingdom of heaven. And then how that relates to salvation. Because in reality, when Jesus speaks of the kingdom of heaven, or uh, in, in many places it's referred to as the kingdom of God, and it's just synonymous, meaning the same thing, um, when Jesus speaks of the reality of the kingdom of God, he's talking about salvation. For example, in his uh, conversation with uh, Nicodemus, John chapter 3, very, very familiar passage. <clears throat> Jesus says in verse 3, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And of course, uh, the implication there is that if one is born again, he does see. And that's the new birth is necessary in order to see or perceive or experience spiritual things. And it follows that one who is born of, again enters the kingdom of God. Again, verse 5, John 3, 5, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And many, many sayings and many parables that uh, Jesus gives uh, concerning the kingdom uh, by way of uh, explanation and by way of exhortation, the the whole uh, idea is to enter the kingdom. That is, to be saved, to come to faith in Christ and be saved and become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about being in submission to the Lordship of Christ. He is the King. And we've talked quite a bit about that the last couple of weeks, had not we? Now, this is what Matthew is announcing in his Gospel. 
this long-awaited Messiah King, King of the Jews, as we saw last week, has come. Jesus of Nazareth. This is the heart of the message. God is establishing His kingdom. The King has arrived. And John's message, as uh, we'll see later, same message Jesus preached, same message the apostles preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, repentance is tied to, necessarily tied to, salvation or the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me back up just for a moment here. Um, and as I, as, as I just mentioned, uh, previous uh, weeks we've gone through chapters 1 and 2, essentially uh, talking about uh, the birth of Christ and the, the, what Matthew's emphasizing here, that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. Matthew's Gospel is often referred to as the most Jewish of the Gospels. In other words, he's, he's writing, um, it seems, primarily with Jews in mind in order to convince them that Jesus is the long-awaited Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Well, now he, he jumps ahead, roughly, uh, 25, 30 years uh, to the arrival of John the Baptist on the scene, uh, that is, the arrival of him in, in his ministry, uh, in verse 3. In those days, so just want to make clear that we're making that jump from, from the time when Jesus was an uh, infant or a toddler to uh, the point now where he and John the Baptist are both uh, full-grown men of about 30 years of age. In those days... John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. Now, it would seem, this is another one of those places where on the surface it would seem that um, the main character here is, in this case, John the Baptist. But really, I think we'll see as we go on, that's, you know, he's got a primary role here, but, they, but he's not the main character. It remains to be Jesus but John comes on the scene, John the, the baptizer, uh, preaching this message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, if you were hearing that for the first time, it may sound a little strange to you or to me if we were hearing that for the first time. But there were uh, heightened expectations in, in uh, Jewish culture at this time. They were looking for, as again we saw last week, they were looking for the arrival of a king, a deliverer. They were looking for the kingdom of God. Now, they didn't have the right concept of the kingdom of God, the right concept of deliverance. They were, their expectations were not really God-centered. They weren't, they didn't have the right focus, right subject. But they were looking. They had expectations of a king, of a deliverer. And so now John comes on the scene in that setting and announces the, the kingdom is, is near. It's, it's at hand. And so people start coming in droves to be baptized by John, to hear him preach, um, to participate in this uh, baptism of repentance. And the whole idea is preparing for the kingdom. Preparing for the king 
preparing for the coming of the king and the kingdom. In their mind, uh, no doubt, they're thinking of the reestablishment of the Davidic kingdom, the nation of Israel once again becoming a sovereign nation, somehow uh, liberation from Rome, this, this kind of thing, which uh, we know that's not, doesn't play out exactly like that. But this is what they're thinking, and they're, they are uh, eagerly awaiting the arrival of a Savior, just with wrong ideas about that Savior. And so John comes preaching, the king is, kingdom is near, it's now, it's now at hand, and they respond. Now, just a couple of things about him. John the Baptist, uh, first of all, uh, the, the name is Hebrew. Uh, means God has dealt graciously. John was born of godly parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth. We read a little while ago um, prophecy, prophecy given by Zacharias at the birth of John. And he is uh, approximately six months older than Jesus. He is Jesus' first cousin, but it would appear that they, uh, you know, they, did, they didn't really know each other. When uh, Jesus comes to John's baptism, John recognizes him by a sign that God gives, uh, the Spirit of God descending on him in the form of a dove. And uh, that, by the way, is the primary role of John's ministry that is to announce or introduce Jesus to the nation, to announce the arrival of the king and the establishment of the kingdom, to announce, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John uh, operated a little bit counter-culturally, um, Dressed in camel's hair and you know camel skin and and uh, with a leather belt, uh, lived in the wilderness at least for a period of time, maybe his whole adult uh, life, but lived in the wilderness. Um, wasn't exactly uh, the the soft intellectual type, okay? <laughs> but he had he had a message from God, and again the the people responded. To that, and came to hear him, came to be baptized by him. If you look at uh, verse four, by the way, you get a little description of him there. John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Um, not not that uncommon. It, may, it sounds weird to us to eat locusts, but not that uncommon in his day. The, the locusts were considered clean under the Jewish dietary law. A um, few prophecies given about John. One is mentioned here. Let me give you a couple more. Uh, the first one mentioned here is uh, Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now again, remember, that's, that's his primary purpose. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now that's qu- quoted here in verse 3. For this is He who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, uh, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So Matthew makes it clear. John is fulfilling this role. Also Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. 
Behold, He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. We saw a hint of that in uh, Zacharias' prophecy concerning John. Uh, and this, this again, is, is part of primary part of his ministry. He's preparing the way of the Lord, turning the hearts of the children to the Lord. Doing that by preaching repentance and the soon coming or the nearness of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and I won't read it again, but New Testament prophecy concerning him, Luke 1, 13-17, we read earlier. Um, he's mentioned by Jesus. For example, in Matthew 11, and this is an astounding statement when you think about it, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Not one born among women greater than John the Baptist. Quite a, quite a statement, at least under the old covenant dispensation. And again, his primary uh, purpose in coming is to introduce Jesus. John one twenty nine. He saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John one thirty six. Looking at Jesus, he walked. As he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Interestingly enough, uh, in spite of that, John seems to later question uh, whether Jesus is the Messiah or not. And he sends disciples uh, to Jesus asking that question. Are you the one or should we look for another? That's um, Matthew 11. Now, move to his message. Simple, simple message. Um, And I'm just going to break it down in those two parts, the two things that are mentioned here. Repentance and the coming kingdom. So John is sent and comes on the scene. In those days, John the baptizer came preaching. Present tense of the verb there. In other words, there's continual action. He, he came preaching. Heralding is the word. He comes proclaiming news of the arrival of the king and the kingdom. The arrival of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John comes preaching. Preaching, first of all, repentance. Again, look at verse 2. Saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What, is, what does he mean by repent? Now, there's a couple of, couple of interesting things here, I think, to note. Um, one, just, just the definition, because I think it's often misunderstood. The idea of repentance here is a turning. So, it'd be like doing an, an about face or a U-turn. To turn. To turn and go a, a completely different direction. The implication is, you know, you're, you're going the wrong way, so turn around. 
Or instead of going that way, go this way. You turn. Repent. And it's a command. John gives it as a command. Repentance is necessary. Here, this is his message. Repent. And as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's the message of, uh, of Jesus also. And later the apostles. And the message for us to preach today. For example, when Jesus begins His ministry in Matthew 4.17, says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Same thing John is preaching here. Repent. Turning from sin, in this case, to Christ. John is announcing the arrival of Jesus, and he's preparing the way for Him by preparing hearts to receive what God is doing. He's commanding them to uh, pay attention, as it were. Be alert. Be ready. Turn, because the kingdom is near. It's at hand. Now, just to uh, for a little more def- description on that, let's look down just a few verses here. When the Pharisees and the Sadducees arrive on the scene. John says to them in middle ways, verse 7, Brood of vipers! Who warns you to flee the wrath to come? Now, there, <laughs> the, uh, outwardly, the Pharisees had, in many ways, impeccable, uh, the appearance of impeccable character. They separated themselves from the culture uh, supposedly for holiness, which in their case was really just more uh, self-righteousness. And we see that as we read through the Gospels, don't we? And John recognizes that. He knows that they are uh, primarily pretenders. And so he, he, he refers to them in a manner that exposes what they really are. Brood of vipers. And I think what... The design behind that is this, that they need repentance as well. These would be the last people who think that they need repentance. In fact, this is one of the other interesting things about it I was mentioning earlier. The Jews were God's chosen people, right? God's nation. But it's to the Jews that God, that John rather comes preaching repentance. That's a message that they would expect for the Gentiles, but not a message they would expect God to send them. And this would especially, again, especially be the case of the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they were religious leaders. And let me say, by the way, you, 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 you read this harsh language uh, here, John the Baptist, other places, uh, Jesus does the same thing. Keep in mind that... Uh, these are deceivers. These are false teachers. These are uh, religious leaders who are in reality hypocrites. So I say all that to say this: um, you might want, not want to use that phrase as your primary means of evangelization. All right, when you when you when you encounter someone and you start out brood of vipers, you know that's probably not a good way to start. Okay, um, Jesus, for one, knows the hearts of all men, so he knew exactly who he was dealing with. Uh, John here is operating under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he's, he's dealing with people that uh, obviously needed to be addressed 
in that manner. But again, the main point is they're in need of repentance also. So what does he go on to say? He, he refers to them uh, as, brood of, as a brood of uh, vipers. And then he goes on to say, Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, Lord willing, we'll come back to that in a few moments, but this is why there is need for repentance. Let me just say this here. This is why there is need for repentance, because we are all sinners, and as long as we remain in that state, in willing rebellion against God, then what awaits us is God's wrath. So there's, there's need for repentance because we're evil, because we're rebellious, and because God's wrath rests upon us in our, in our natural state. Then John says to them in verse 8, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. So here's another thing to note concerning repentance. And I would say it this way. Repentance is, is primarily a, recha- a change of mind. But it's not limited to that. And what, I'm, what I mean by that is this. Re- repentance is a change of mind in that your way of thinking is changed. That's how the redirection occurs. If I'm going down the highway one way and I realize I need to go the other way, and I make a U-turn. Well, see, that, that all started with me realizing that I need to change directions. So it starts there. There's a change of mind. That's, that's a simple but I think very accurate definition for repentance. A change of mind. It's bigger than it sounds. We're not just talking about um, like, you know, uh, deciding what you're going to have for dessert. We're talking about your whole worldview changing. Specifically here, when we talk about repentance toward God, we're talking about going from someone who rejects and rebels against God to someone who submits and loves God. It's a, it's a total, in fact, radical redirection. And it manifests, and this is key also, it manifests in deeds or actions. So, it's, it, it's, there's an aspect in which it's intellectual, but it's, it's not limited to that. It starts with a change of mind that results in a change of direction as far as um, conduct. That's why John says in verse 8, bear fruits worthy of repentance. What he has in mind there is their evil works. He wants them to turn away from their evil works and do good. And it's necessary. Repentance for, for genuine salvation, repentance is necessary. There must be that radical change. So John says, verse 9, Do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. He knows that their confidence rests in the fact that they 
physically are descendants of Abraham. There's no need for, the, the, the mindset would be this, there's no need for us to repent, we're children of Abraham. We're already in. And John shoots that down quickly. He anticipates that objection. Do not think to yourself, to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, here's a warning, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. That's, just, that's a shocking statement for Israelites, for Jews. John, John is saying, look, even now the axe is laid to the root. You can be cut off. God's mission, God's plan, God's dealing, it's not, not based on you. And God can raise up stones to be children of Abraham if He wills. He'll keep His covenant to Abraham and his descendant descendants, but... He doesn't need you in order to do that. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit. Now there's, there's the idea of conduct again, or works we could say. That's the message. Repent and do good works. Now let's be clear on something here, and I always uh, try to be clear about this. Because... Works are essential. An essential part of salvation. But, we're not saved by works. Right? Works are not the cause of salvation. You're not, you, you, you don't go out and do something good enough and impress God, and therefore, you're saved. Works are not the cause of our salvation. They are the result. They accompany genuine salvation. So they have to be there. Repentance is necessary. Even that aspect of it, the changed conduct. Because when there's a changed mindset, that will always result in changed conduct. When you've got a new nature, that's going to manifest. It's going to be expressed in what you do. So John says, repent. And by that, he has in mind their whole way of thinking and their whole way of acting. So so you you could bring into that uh, vertical relationship. And horizontal relationship. The way they think about God, the way they think about their fellow man. The way they relate to God and the way they relate to their fellow man. Their whole mindset and therefore conduct has to be changed because it's wrong. And all of that, I would say, is behind the word repentance. It's often confused in our day with confession. Sometimes people talk about confession. Repenting, and what they really mean by that is that they admitted that they committed a sin, or that they do commit sins. And that's a great start, but that in itself is not repentance. 
So John says, again, verse 8, bear fruits worthy of repentance. It, it, it should manifest, true repentance will manifest in your works. And in verse 10, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So he's saying there are consequences for lack of repentance. Now, he gives a reason, a basis for this command to repent. Repent. Um, why? Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. Now remember, again, he's, he's sent to prepare the way of the Lord. To make the people ready. To turn the hearts of the children to their Father, to the living God. And this is how He's preparing them. Commanding them to repent and um, baptism. Conducting a baptism unto repentance. Change. Redirection. Redirect your lives, He's saying. Get your thinking right. Get your actions right. Get in line with the will of God because the kingdom of God is at hand. Or it's near. Now, I said earlier, um, the kingdom of God is, is a way of talking about Salvation. God's sphere of, of uh, dominion, rule, absolute rule. So what John is preparing them for, what the Lord is preparing them for, or commanding them to be prepared for, is the coming of the Savior. To receive Christ upon His Revival, uh, arrival, and to, to trust in Him and what He is going to do. Now, no, no doubt, as I, as I mentioned earlier, that's not the way they're thinking. Okay, They're, they're thinking of a physical uh, kingdom, probably. Okay, God's fixing, a, according to this prophet, God's fixing to establish His kingdom, and therefore we all need to be ready for it. We're going to have a, we're going to have a new king, and we're going to be out from under Roman rule. Missing the whole point. But again, that's, that's the purpose in repentance, isn't it? That's the purpose in getting in line with God's will so that God's truth begins to shape our thinking. Because we all come with preconceived ideas that have to be changed, that have to be molded. So the primary thing is submission. Submit to the Lord. Repentance primarily would be submitting to God's truth. God's will. A change of mind that results in, 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 in changing from rebellion against God's will to acceptance of God's will. In fact, embracing God's will. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, let me, let me say this about the kingdom of heaven. There's a lot to be said. We can only scratch the surface here. but uh, And we'll talk about it more as we go. This is going to be... a uh, just like we saw similarly in Luke, 
That's going to be a key theme for Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. Jesus gives parables to explain it. Jesus also exhorts um, people to, uh, to be alert and to, to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's going to be a primary theme as we go through the book. But let me say this. For us now, because you may wonder, okay, what, what specifically does the Lord have in mind? Jesus coming and His death and resurrection and therefore the establishment of the New Testament church? Or, when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, are we talking about something yet in the future where we will enter into the eternal state and have the glorious experience of no more sin, no more death, no more sorrow? Is this something that we experience now or is it future? And the answer to that question is yes. Yes. In fact, it has often been described, the life of the Christian uh, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven has often been described as living in the now and the not yet. It's now, it's present, in one sense. <laughs> in another sense, it's not yet. So yes, partly now. Jesus came to establish the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And He did that. He did that. So that now, for you and I, we can, if we're believers, if we're followers of Christ, we've come to... To God through Christ, uh, through faith in Christ and the work of Christ, we can say now that we are citizens of God's kingdom. Heirs of His kingdom. Not just in the sense that someday out there we'll receive it, but in the sense that we have received it when we came to faith in Christ. It is the already and the not yet. So already in this sense, that the kingdom of heaven is God's rule in the hearts of His people. Everybody that comes to Christ in faith, genuine biblical faith, I think requires submission. That kind of goes back again to repentance, doesn't it? Your whole mindset changes. So, where before you rejected God and rebelled against God and His ways, now you submit and embrace. Before you hated God, although many of us would not have expressed it that way. Some would, some wouldn't. But in reality, before you hated God, now you love God. The kingdom of God is already in that sense. God's people are here on earth. The church. God's rule is manifest here on the earth in the form of the church. Now, there is a, there is a, a real sense. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that uh, the rest of the world is uh, out from under God's rule. So, He's not in control of anything out there. I'm not saying that at all. Ultimately, God rules all things over the universe does all things according to the counsel of His own will. He works all things according to His own good pleasure. He does whatever He pleases. 
And He does that in heaven and on the earth. All things are under His control. All things are under His dominion in that sense. But there's not a willing submission on the part of the world. There's not a desire for God and for the things of God. He's not recognized as Lord, King, Ruler. In fact, that very notion, oh, they fight hard against. And so once did we. But in the church, not that we live it perfectly, far from that, but, but we recognize that. We're in submission to the Lord. He reigns. He rules. And we love that. That's not, that's not something that is a burden to us. It's a comfort to us. And it's a pleasure to us. We like the fact that we are slaves to Christ. That, that sounds strange to the world, doesn't it? Slaves who are happy being slaves. So it's already in the sense that God rules now in an absolute way in the hearts of His people here on the earth. His kingdom is manifest in the form of the church. But it's future uh, in, in a sense as well. Those of us who believe, we, we know and we experience the kingdom of heaven, the reality of it, and yet we haven't experienced it in its fullness. We still long for the day, don't we, when sin is no more. We still long for the day when suffering is no more. We were a little bit of discussion in Sunday school this morning about some of those things. You know, what, what will our bodies be like when we get our new body? Well, we don't really know the answers to that. And looking back, you know, we can read uh, what little information we have about Adam and Eve, even when they existed here on earth in a sinless environment. But we can't fully grasp that, can we? Because all we know is a sin-filled environment. So we long for that. We look forward to that. In that sense, the kingdom of God is not yet. In the sense that Christ's uh, lordship, God's sovereignty, God's rule, is openly and manifestly known... We're still in the not yet. Oh, there's plenty of people out there who refuse to submit to God, who reject the idea of Jesus, His work, His atoning for our sins. But there's coming a day when none will be able to argue against it. Now, I'm not saying they'll submit. That won't be the case. Uh, not willingly. Um, but, His rule, His lordship will be openly and manifestly known when He returns. And the children of the kingdom at that point will enter in the fullness 
of the kingdom of God. So in that sense, it's not yet. Now let me just say this in the final few minutes we have, because really I, th- I think there is a there's there there's there's a sense in which this should the reality of the kingdom of heaven should consume our lives. This is where our identity is if we're truly Christians. That is, we are, we, we belong to the Lord. We're subjects in His kingdom. We're slaves of His. We are children of His, heirs of His kingdom. And it's something that, again, we ought to, the fullness, the full manifestation, we ought to anticipate uh, eagerly, with great joy. Um, when God created man originally, and I mean by that, just like Genesis does, male and female, God gave them dominion. Because they're created in the image of God. And this is one way that God's image is reflected in human beings. Dominion over all the rest of creation. Adam and Eve sinned and lost the fullness of that. Now, our, our God's image in us and on us is not uh, totally destroyed. Every human being bears the image of God but it was certainly marred to an almost unrecognizable degree, if not to an unrecognizable degree. And so, for example, and I think about this, may sound a little weird or funny or whatever, but I, I think about this. Uh, for example, I was, I was watching this uh, uh, video from a couple of weeks ago where the circus over in Ukraine where the uh, lions attacked the lion trainer. Now, see, that would have never happened in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> because Adam and Eve had perfect dominion. But we've lost that. Again, not completely. So, so even today, there are lion trainers. And there are people that train elephants and things like that. I mean, that dominion still exists to some degree. And yet, it's, it's not perfect and it's limited. So... Uh, even an animal like a lion can turn on a human being and, uh, and do great damage. But that, again, because we lost our perfect dominion. God's kingdom was not reflected on this earth as it was designed to be, as it once was. And so then, all the way through the rest of the Old Testament, Various places, God is promising to restore that. Restore right relationship with Him. Restore the marred image by a reestablishment of the kingdom. His kingdom. And regaining the dominion of man through... One man, Jesus Christ. 
And so, again, various prophecies throughout the Old Testament talk about the kingdom of God, the coming kingdom, or the everlasting kingdom. And then John, jumping fast-forwarding ahead again, then John comes on the scene here in Matthew 3 and announces the kingdom is near. Because of the arrival of the King. The kingdom of God is established. And so all who come to Christ and believe on Christ enter into this kingdom. And in doing so, the relationship that we humans previously had with God is restored. There is reconciliation with God as we become members of His kingdom. And that again is the essence of salvation. Reconciliation with God. Because there is coming a day when God will judge the world. And this again is a sense in which it is not yet for the Christians When Jesus returns, when the world is judged, we enter into the fullness of the kingdom. But for the unbelievers, judgment awaits. And that's what John is warning against. If you look for a moment at verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That word fire there is a reference to judgment. Verse 12, His winnowing fan is in His hand, and He will thoroughly clean out His threshing floor, gather His wheat into the barn, but He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So John is saying there's a need for repentance because the kingdom is at hand, which means that judgment is imminent. He'll gather the wheat into the barn. Therefore, repent. I mean, that's the implication, right? Be one of the wheat. But he'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So, the kingdom of heaven is near, has its fulfillment in the already and the not yet. Two aspects of it. That is, immediately the coming of Christ to die for sinners. And in the future, the fullness of salvation for all those who believe which is accompanied by judgment for those who remain in unbelief. So, John says, repent. Because it's near. That is, He's coming. He's coming soon. Very soon. (laughs) Very soon, John is going to be pointing at Him saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The kingdom is near because... The king has arrived, John is saying. 
This whole message is pointing to Christ. He who comes after me is mightier than I. His, his whole message is about the supremacy of Christ. There's one coming after me that I'm trying to prepare you for because he's mightier than I. In fact, I'm not even worthy to loose his sandal. And where I baptize you with water, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Or, if you reject, with fire. Repent, he says, because the kingdom of heaven is near. And we can say, it's here. It's here. It's already, and it's not yet. Can you say today that you are a citizen of the kingdom? Have you come to God through faith in Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in the atoning work of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, for reconciliation to God? The kingdom, yes, in one sense, is future, but it's also now. It's now. And that's what John is saying. Come now. Repent. Come now. Because the kingdom of God is here. Would you stand? We're just going to close with a word of prayer. Um, I'll remind you real quick, 4 o'clock this evening is the singing. If you can be here, join us for that. And and we'll eat afterwards. Let's, uh, let's pray. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation, which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us, or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.